Welcome to Stories from the First Watch. This is a blend of a solo tabletop role-playing game and a fantasy audio drama in the vein of the mighty Tale of the Manticore and Legend of the Bones podcasts. The story and the character's actions will unfold upon the roll of the dice. Once the game starts, nothing is predetermined. The dice are in control, and I am there to chronicle what they decree. My name is Robin. I am the host, player and writer. I'm going to take a few moments to explain why I'm doing this. I am a keen role player and have been immersed in fantasy worlds since I was a child. As much as I enjoy playing other people's games, I've always wanted to create my own world and to run my own campaign. I should confess, I am terrible at learning rules so I've never had the confidence to run an RPG for other people. By playing this solo, I can both learn the game rules as I go along and explore my own interior fantasy world at my own pace, where the only limit is my imagination. Hopefully, this will be something you'll find interesting too. I will be using the rules for basic fantasy role-playing game by Chris Goneman. This is a retro clone of the original Dungeons and Dragons rules, kept as simple as possible. I will have enough to be working with. I will also occasionally use the Mythic GM emulator by Tyna Pigeon, which is a fantastic toolkit for running an RPG solo. I will also use other handy supplements to generate names, backstories and plot prompts as and when necessary, and will flag these up during the adventure. I am looking to keep most episodes under half an hour. This one, a session zero, will be longer, as I will be generating and introducing the party of characters that will be following throughout this tale, although there is no guarantee that any of them will survive for long. At the end of this episode, we will see how the party first meets. After that, they are on their own. So, without any further ado, let's begin. So let's roll up our first character using the basic fantasy rules. We have six characteristics, strength, dexterity, intelligence, wisdom, constitution and charisma. Here are my roles for the first character. Strength, 11. Dexterity, a 16, that's a strong roll. There's a plus two bonus to dexterity checks. Intelligence, 11. Wisdom, 9. Not great, but no penalty. Constitution, 9. Again, quite average, but not too bad. Charisma, 12. So this character is quite strong and intelligent, and is fairly charismatic, but has an average constitution and might be quite hot-headed. The big advantage is on dexterity, This is pointing me towards a rogue character. Let's see where this goes. 
three days ago. The common was thronged with people. Ordinarily, it was a rare patch of green space in the town of Forlond, in one of the wealthier districts. It was surrounded on three sides by the river, and the fourth backed under the city walls. Townsfolk grazed their cattle there, and it was where young apprentices and servants nervously courted, or where bear baiting took place, the less law-abiding townsfolk betting on animal violence for the sake of purses of coppers. Today was different. Today was the Feast of the Kestrel's Eye. As its name suggested, it was a celebration of keen sight and of great marksmanship, and it was the most renowned archery competition this side of the Copper Hills. All of the great bowmen of the provinces travelled from far and wide to attend, and so did the aspiring merchants and minor nobles who wanted to bask in the reflected glory. And this year, so did Kilia. Kilia was a small wiry girl, not yet eighteen, with blonde hair hacked short and a pinched mischievous face. She spent her days in a couple of small rooms above a bakery in the poor district of Rockside. But at night she was learning. Her tutors were people of the shadows, keeping out of sight, drawing no attention to themselves. They were known as the Greyfellows, a guild of thieves that operated out of Forlond and the surrounding region. They were silent, skillful and effective, and they often took in orphan children to bolster their numbers and train them in their ways. Kilia was one such child, and today was her final test. If successful, she would become a fully-fledged grey fellow. Kilia was in her vantage point up on a chimney stack, overlooking the common. She scanned the crowd. It was mostly made up of regular townsfolk. But then, trumpets blared, and she saw horses canter down the cobbled road and onto the common. People scattered hurriedly as a small troop of knights, flanking an ornate carriage, thundered into the parkland. She recognised the carriage. It was decorated in the livery of Lord Merrick. He would be too risky a target. Nobody would be able to get within 20 feet of that old arsehole. She turned her attention to a group of merchants braying loudly and trying to one-up each other with crude jokes. Better. She slipped down the drainpipe at the side of the building then disappeared into the crowd, heading like a shark towards her prey. She emerged next to a large, pompous-looking man with a red face and elaborate whiskers. His gaze was fixed on the competitors, who were busy loosing off practice arrows at the great circular targets. He had a large purse strapped to his belt. Kilia could see that it was hanging loose, a perfect target. Her hand slipped slowly and deliberately towards it. Suddenly the man turned. He looked down, surprised, and then furious. He shouted at Kilia, who made to withdraw, when another merchant had grabbed her from behind. Let go of me, she yelled, panicked and furious. She kicked back, her boot landing between the man's legs. He yelped in pain and dropped her. <coughs> By this time a number of the crowd had seen her, and there was an angry throng of limbs moving in her direction. She dived forward into a forest of legs, leaving behind a heated commotion. Heading in the opposite direction as quickly as she could, she resurfaced near the back of the crowd. Fortunately, most of the attention was taken up by the archers. Then she saw town guards moving in her direction. They hadn't yet spotted her, but it was only a matter of time. She gasped. Someone took her hand. Looking up, she saw a hooded figure. Disappointing, he said. Come with me. They quickly
quickly sped through the throng and down a series of alleys, occasionally retracing their steps and once or twice climbing over backyards. Soon they were far into the maze of fallen streets. They stopped, breathing hard. The figure looked at her. Despite the hood, he gave off an air of reproachfulness. You were too cocky, he said, choosing one of the most high-profile merchants and in broad daylight. Luckily, you're not very memorable, but I'm afraid you have not passed the test. You'll need more training and be thankful we'll give you one more chance. In the meantime, you'll need to lie low. Follow me. Kilia followed miserably. She felt like a failure. The grey fellows had given her life purpose and she had let them down. After a few minutes, which he spent in a depressed daze, they arrived at a quiet tavern. She looked up. The sign read, The Saint Anoga. Stay here for three days, said the hooded man. Then someone will come for you. We need to let the heat die down before we can allow you back. I've got a contact here, the landlady. Do some cleaning and serving work. Earn your keep. The money will go back to us. He opened the door. Go, and you don't want to fail us again. Holding back tears, Kilia stepped inside. Behind the scenes. So now we have our first character, Kilia the Rogue. Who will be our second? Let's roll. Strength, 15, that's very good. This character has a plus two bonus. Dexterity, 12, again, quite good. Intelligence, 11. Wisdom, 11. Constitution, 12. This character is looking pretty solid all round. Charisma, also a 12. This character has good all round stats, but the high strength score points to this being a fighter. Let's get their background. Last night. It was a filthy evening. Thunder grumbled away in the distance. Rain lashed down onto the cobblestones of Forlond, making them greasy and treacherous underfoot. The streets were deserted, all but the most hardy denizens wisely deciding to stay indoors. Those few who were out on such a night invariably had other, rather nefarious reasons for doing so. One such ne'er-do-well was a tall figure dressed in a dark, floor-length cloak with a large hood that completely covered his face. He stalked the streets, leaving behind him an imposing horse, its head lowered to avoid the worst of the rain. The two made their way down winding alleys, emerging into a small square. The entirety of one side of the square was taken up by a livery stable, shrouded in darkness. The tall figure led the horse gently to the stable and tied its lead rope to an iron ring protruding from a post. Looking round quickly to confirm he was unobserved, he walked up to the stable's office and wrapped a complicated pattern on the oak door. There was a short pause and an eye-level slot slid back. A chink of light faintly illuminated a shadowy face. Password! The voice was deep and raspy. Elysium! came the wet figure's impatient retort. Come on, Joss, it's pissing down out here, he added, somewhat peevishly. You are denied entry, the voice intoned again in its portentous rasp. What? What are you playing at? I told you, it's Elysium. 
That was last week's, said the voice in a rather less formal tone. You ain't getting in, I'm afraid, Elmanda, unless you got the new one. The man called Elmanda put his face close to the slot. How about open the door before Lord Commander Flay finds out his favourite horse has gone missing and all signs point to the sneaky bastards at Alara's livery stable? Keep your voice down, the other hissed. There was a brief silence. Was only following orders, the voice continued sulkily. Then came the sound of heavy bolts being forced back and the door gradually groaned open to reveal a portly, balding man with a red face, thick mutton chops and the general look of a backstreet butcher. In you come then, look lively. Much obliged, Joss, said Elmander with heavy sarcasm, and slapped the other man on the back before stomping down a cramped corridor, dimly lit by torches. He came to an ornately carved door, wrapped another pattern on its surface, and opened it cautiously. Elmander stepped tentatively into the room, and the door closed quickly behind him. His eyes took in the book-lined shelves, the opulent carpet, and plush velvet drapes across the window. A fire glowed in an ornate fireplace. It felt like he had been snatched from the grimy back streets of Forland and placed into the room of a nobleman's castle. Or, in this case, a noblewoman's. A tall, middle-aged woman with long silver hair turned as he entered. Ah, Elmanda, she said. You are late. Explain yourself. My my sincerest apologies, my lady, Elmanda wheedled in his most unctuous tone. The weather's frightful, and I the devil is at time dragging the beast down here in the rain. Enough. Apology accepted. Sit down. Drink? Each word was delivered in a clipped, noble voice with the tiniest hint of an unplaceable foreign accent. The woman reached down, opened a chest, and brought out a small bottle of port and two stone cups. Elmanda was disarmed by this abrupt change in attitude, and sat in the chair, banging his leg in haste. Thank you, milady. They drank together. The pour was delicious, a rich, dark blend from the Southern Isles. Now tell me, do you have the information I requested? Yes, my lady, Elmanda swallowed. At least, I believe so. The woman raised an eyebrow. You believe so? I dearly hope you can offer me more certainty than that. I am afraid I will not be satisfied with I believe so. Yes, yes, of course, Elmander stuttered. What, what I meant to say is, my lady, that I am almost entirely certain I have the information what you wanted. In that case, please continue as quickly as you can. Yes, right, so. Elmander paused to reach into an inner pocket of his cloak and pulled out a leather pouch. He untied the drawstring and withdrew a small rolled parchment, which he handed to the woman with a bow of his head. The woman snatched it from him, the gesture belying her calm exterior. She unrolled the parchment and lifted a pair of pince-nez to her eyes. After a couple of minutes of agonising silence, she put down the glasses, took the parchment to the fireplace and fed it to the flames. Excellent. You have done well, Elmanda. He sighed quietly with relief. The woman turned back to him and smiled. You may go. Uh, milady, if you please. Elmanda summoned up the courage to continue. I was told there'd be a bonus in it for me. What would you want in the horse as well? Oh, yes. The woman walked back to the desk. I did promise that, didn't I? I pride myself as a woman of my word. Now this is a matter of supreme importance. In no way must this be traced back to me. 
but rest assured, Elmanda, you will get what's coming to you. She stood suddenly. Guards! She called. Seize him. The same door burst open, and three of the town guards burst through. I have all the evidence we need, the woman said. This rogue admitted to stealing Lord Commander Flay's horse. Take him to the jail. But, Almanda said before he was cuffed violently around the head. In a daze, he was led from the room and back down the passageway, out into the square. He knew he was betrayed and in serious trouble. Nobody would take his word against a noblewoman's. Instinct kicked in. He needed to escape. He slumped, falling to his knees limply. What's the matter with him? said one of the guards. We'll drag the fool to the dungeon if need be. Almanda suddenly kicked out, knocking the man to the floor. He punched another in the stomach, winding him. Then before the third could react, he pulled a cudgel from his belt and cracked him across the face. With all three men down, he smashed the club down on all their heads, sending them out cold. Then he ran for his life in no particular direction. After a long ten minutes, when he was sure he had not been followed, he slowed, completely exhausted and breathing heavily. He had to get away, but was in no condition to leave the town tonight. There was only one place he knew he could find help, the saint and ogre. He spat, got his breath back, and hobbled in the direction of the inn. Behind the scenes. We've now met Kilia and Elmanda. Who will join them next? Let's roll. Strength, 11. Another character who's quite strong. Dexterity, eight. Oh, that's quite poor. This character is obviously a bit clumsy. That's a minus one penalty. Intelligence, ten. Not bad. Wisdom, thirteen. Okay, this character is pretty wise. That's a plus one bonus. Constitution, fourteen. Nice. Again, this character is tough. That's another plus one bonus. Charisma, 12. So this character is a bit slow and clumsy, but seems to be very wise and tough. I think this sounds like it might be a cleric. Well then, let's learn a bit more about them. Two hours ago. The great bells of Fallon Keep tolled, echoing cacophonously around the courtyard. The open space played host to a number of the town's guards, off-duty and idle. Some played dice in small groups on the rough flagstones, laughing and whooping uproariously as one or the other lost small amounts of money on bad throws. Others wetted the blades of their short swords, or polished their leather boots and jerkins, chatting quietly amongst themselves. One or two simply basked in the early summer sunshine, only a few noticed two of their colleagues, on duty and in full armour, as they marched down the courtyard's central path, escorting a short, squat figure in chainmail and a white cloak, his long braided red hair and beard blazing brightly in the sunlight. Eyes narrowed when they realised the newcomer was a dwarf. Relations between the inhabitants of Forlond and the Shazenvar dwarves of the Copper Hills had been strained recently. After three decades of cooperation, the dwarves had increased the prices of the metals and coal they mined beneath their great hall of Shazenbund. A new dwarf lord, keen to stamp his authority on the surrounding towns, had insisted on an increase. 
when the Lord of Forlon had refused to pay, the Shazanvar down their tools. Now the town, so reliant on raw materials for its great smithies and furnaces, had fallen silent. Its industries had been starved. The escorts led the dwarf down a colonnade, then stopped at a large oak door. One rapped at it sharply. Enter. The escort opened the door and nodded to the dwarf to pass through. The dwarf stepped forward, noting the intricate decor of the room. Bright murals and finely woven embroideries covered the walls, and the floor was tiled with Talayan-style mosaics. He was not impressed. He could tell that these embellishments hid shoddy, human-made building that no dwarf would dare put their name to. He stopped in front of a low dais that held a wooden throne, well made but relatively plain, reflecting its occupant status as a minor lordling. Lord Merrick himself was an unimpressive man, small and narrow-shouldered, with sharp, peevish features. So, this is the envoy the copper dwarves have sent me? A mere acolyte? Tell me, have you ever left your cave before? My lord, my name is Navi Deeprock of the Copperhill Deeprocks. I am come from the lord of the Shazanvar. He wishes to negotiate terms. He bids you, Merrick bristled. He bids me? Who does this upstart think he is dealing with? We are not a nest of elves and goblins who he can bully. Indeed, my lord, my apologies. I am not too strong with the human tongue. Be careful what you say, or you have no tongue at all. Tell me what your jumped-up chief wants. Quickly now. A mere five minutes later, Narvi left the room, stony-faced. His escort shut the door behind him, and trying to hide their smirks, they led him back across the courtyard. You caught him at a bad time, Master Dwarf, said the taller of the two. Old Merrick does not take kindly to you lot trying to hold him ransom. So I see, said Narvi bitterly. He does not realise how stubborn my own lord is. I fear for the future friendships of our peoples. The guard snorted derisively. Well then, said the second guard, seeing as we sell most of your weapons, you'd better run back to your little hole and tell your fellow shortlings to brace themselves. Narvi felt hot anger and humiliation boiling beneath his skin, but with an effort remained calm, remembering his training as an acolyte of Gazan. Anger is the enemy. Nonetheless, he was glad he was unarmed. He left the keep's imposing entrance, stalking off before his anger got the better of him. He did not feel ready to return home with his bad news. His eyes caught sight of an inn sign depicting a pious human priest attempting to bless a fearsome ugly creature. The sign was in the common tongue. He read it slowly, with difficulty. The saint and ogre. He felt a first building inside him. If there was one thing humans did well, it was a passable beer. Sighing heavily, he made his way to the inn's front door. Behind the scenes. Okay, we have three of the four initial party members. Who will be the final one? Let's roll. Strength. 
7. Oof, that's quite poor. That's a minus 1 penalty. Dexterity, 11. A bit better, slightly above average. Intelligence, 18. That's more like it. This character has a mighty plus 3 bonus. Wisdom, 13. That's pretty good too. That's a plus 1 bonus. Constitution, 10. Charisma, 11. Decent. Okay, the top score on intelligence immediately points to this being a mage. Let's just not get them into too many fights. Here's their backstory. One hour ago, the Vespers bell rang. Mara closed the heavy book and sat back in her chair, rubbing her eyes and massaging her neck. She had been studying for hours. When she had begun that morning, the sun was just peeking over the horizon. Now it was beginning its descent. Her stomach rumbled insistently, and she could no longer ignore it. She had forgotten the last time she had eaten. Was it today? Yesterday, maybe? She got up off the chair stiffly and slipped into her college robes before tying up her black hair into a bun. She hobbled to the door of the small room that acted as both her bedroom and study. The door opened directly onto a stone spiral staircase. Padding softly down it, she could smell roasting meats and boiling vegetables, and her mouth watered. She realised she was feeling weak, and it was all she could do not to trip on the hem of her dress. She reached the bottom of the staircase, walked down a narrow corridor, and found herself in the communal dining room. There are four or five other neophytes sitting at a long table, already tucking into a steaming chicken stew. They looked up when Mara entered. Some immediately blanked her, whilst a few others curled their lips in distaste. Feeling uncomfortable, Mara looked for a place to sit, but it suddenly seemed that all the space had been taken up. She sighed inwardly, then politely approached a blonde-haired youth of roughly her age, who had spread his legs wide at one end of the bench. My apologies, Kristen. May I sit down? He glared at her. I don't share my space with Tavolians. Sit in the corner. It's all you people are good for. There were snorts and titters from his fellows. Mara's heart pounded, and she could feel shock and anger rising in her. Kristen, please, there is no need. Who gave you permission to use my name, Tavolian bitch? He roared at her. She stepped back, and her temper snapped. She made a small downward gesture with the index and middle fingers on her left hand. Kristen's stew suddenly erupted like a small fountain. The hot broth spattered on his face and shirt, causing him to yelp in pain and surprise. The others were quiet suddenly, and then burst into raucous laughter, revelling in his humiliation. Mara secretly enjoyed this, despite her being the target of their mockery just moments before. Kristen's face was crimson with fury, and he stood up violently, ready to exact revenge. Enough! The room went quiet again. Everyone turned, and saw the stern figure of Gamma Valena in the doorway. The Gamma was the matriarch of this branch of the college. She was a small, stocky woman, but her aura was powerful, and the neophytes both craved her approval and feared her wrath. Kristen, go and change your clothes. You look a state. Kristen stalked past her, shooting a poisonous glance at Mara. Mara, said the Gamma. Follow me. Her heart sinking, Mara did as she was told meekly following the old woman out of the dining room and along the passageway to her room of office. Shut the door. Mara did so. Sit down. 
The Gamma took her own seat and glanced at Mara through steepled fingers. That was not a clever decision. You know that Kristen is the nephew of Lord Merrick, do you not? Mara nodded her head blankly. Now the adrenaline had left her, she was beginning to fear for her place at the college. When was the last time you ate? I'm... I'm not sure, Gamma Valena. I'm sorry. The Gamma clucked gently. You had better get something down you. Mara looked up, and to her surprise saw a bowl of chicken stew and a platter of thick crusty bread in front of her. The Gamma laughed at her expression. You aren't the only one who can pull off parlor tricks. Don't be shy. Eat. Thank you, Gamma. Mara tucked in, desperately trying not to wolf the food down as quickly as possible. When she finished, she noticed the Gamma looking at her. You are working too hard. I know you feel you have something to prove, but magic does not respect kingdoms or borders. All mages are equal, but magic requires a strong body as well as a strong mind. I'm giving you a few days leave. Mara was aghast. But Gamma... No buts. You are not to look at your books for three days. Instead, you need to experience the real world. Explore the town. Meet the people. I bet you have not even visited a tavern, have you? Well, you can do one thing for me. This evening, I want you to go to an inn called the Saint and Ogre. There is a man who frequents there, a herbalist. Find him and tell him I sent you. Tell him that the Gamma would like the usual supply of basil, heartsease, mugwort, and lavender. He is to deliver them to the college tomorrow. Give him this. The Gamma passed her a large gold coin. And tell him the Gamma will check the weights, so no funny business. Mara nodded. Am I... am I being punished, Gamma? She asked. Gamma Valena laughed softly. No, child. In truth, I am impressed. You are more advanced than most of your peers, no matter what names they call you. Just be careful when insulting minor lordlings. Their egos can be dangerous things. It is perhaps best if you are out of sight for a while. The Gamma stood up again. You had better go. Remember, the saint and ogre. And try not to draw too much attention to yourself. Yes, of course. Thank you, Gamma. Mara stood and bowed her head before heading out of the office and down to the college's entrance. She was nervous. She had not left the college for weeks, let alone to go to a drinking hole. But she didn't want to let the Gamma down. Gathering her courage, she half walked, half ran out of the college's gate and headed for the inn. Behind the Scenes now we've been introduced to all of the characters, I need to work out how they meet. For each character's backstory, I turn to the Mythic GM emulator, which is a fantastic tool for solo play RPGs. One of its key elements is a list of random words known as the event meaning table. If you roll a d100 twice on the table, you get an action word and a subject word, for example, struggle and emotions. Combining the two words gives you a prompt to follow when you are developing the plot. When I came to writing each character, I rolled the following prompts. Kilia. Imitate competition. This gave me the idea of the archery competition, and Kilia is imitating an audience member in order to steal from the crowd. Elmanda. 
celebrate animal. This obviously gave me the idea of stealing the horse. The rest of the backstory developed from that simple premise. Navi. Block piece. This was tricky, but eventually I had the idea that Navi was acting as a peace envoy between the dwarves and the humans. But something happened to jeopardise that peace. The trade dispute. Mara. Neglect outside. This seemed a good prompt for a mage. Mara has been studying so hard, she needs someone to give her a reason to go outside. This is where the Gamma's mission came in. So let's roll for the party's first meeting. We know they are all heading to the same inn, but what twist of fate binds them together? I'll roll a d100 twice on the event meaning list. 71. Trick. 75. Military. Trick military. Okay, well we've met quite a few guards already in the story, so that will give us something to work with. Let's see what happens. Mara arrived at the Saint Anoga and nervously pushed the door open. She had never been in an inn before and was unsure what to expect. She was in a low-ceilinged, dingy room with four long tables spread across the centre and smaller circular tables around the edges. At the opposite end was a long bar in front of a series of large tapped barrels. The murmur of conversation briefly hushed as the clientele turned to look at her but they quickly went back to their drinks. She haltingly walked towards the bar, passing a red-haired dwarf and a tall man in deep conversation. Coming to the bar, she caught the attention of a jolly-looking woman with brown curls who smiled at her as she approached. Hello, my darling. How can I help you? Ain't seen you in our little establishment before. Um, no, uh, Mara stuttered. I... I was told to meet a man here, a, a herbalist. You mean old Elwyn? The landlady said. It's an odd thing. He's usually here nearly every day, and now I haven't seen him in over a week. He usually comes in, buys a tanker of ale, and tells us the same stories of his adventures over and over again. Maybe he's finally gone on a new one. A few of the patrons laughed. Oh, well, I guess I'd better... Ah, oh, it seems a shame to leave so soon. Why don't you have a drink? Well, um, all right. Uh, do you have any water? The landlady laughed. <laughs> you don't want to be drinking our water, love. Tastes like goblin's piss. <laughs> How about a small cup of elderberry wine? On the house. My name is Nella. I'm the owner of this dump. Well, thank, thank you, Nella. Mara took the cup of warm wine gratefully, then turned to the tables. The only free seat was next to the red-haired dwarf. Wary of her previous attempt to find a seat, Mara approached cautiously. The dwarf turned to her. Please, manling, you are welcome to sit. She did so. She had never met a dwarf before, but she was reassured by his calm presence. I am Navi Deeprock. I am an envoy of the Shazinvar. I believe you know us as the Copper Dwarves. I'm... My name is Mara Sonari. I'm a... I study at the college. You're a wizard then, said the tall man, who had been quiet until now. We prefer the word mage, but, well, yes, at least I'm training to be one. The man smiled. Well, I'm training to be a wealthy man, but recent events have conspired against me. 
My name's Elmanda. Leia interrupted by a serving girl, who placed a couple of mugs of foaming ale down in front of the man and the dwarf. Mara looked at her. She was small and furtive looking, with short blonde hair, and she didn't make eye contact with anyone. I've run into uh, difficulties with my employer, said the tall man, and I'm keen to get out of this shithole sharpish. Master Dwarf here is hiring me as a bodyguard. Gets me out of trouble, and makes sure no little scrote tries to attack him and kick off a war between us and the shortlings. He took a big swig of his ale. What's your story then, young lady? I'm guessing you're from Tivoli. What brings you here? Mara hesitated. I... She was interrupted as the inn's door swung open on its hinges violently. In strolled a horrifyingly familiar figure. It was Kristen, along with two of his friends. They were drunk and braying obnoxiously. They draped themselves at the bar and snapped their fingers at the blonde girl. Bring us your best wine right now, girl, Kristen slurred. He turned to gaze smugly at the other patrons, who were aware of who he was and despite their contempt did not want to risk a confrontation with a noble. Kristen suddenly caught sight of Mara, and his expression changed instantly into malevolent glee. Well, well, he sneered. If it isn't a little Tyrolean whore. So this is where you're hiding, is it? This is where you get your custom? His equally drunk friends guffawed loudly. The dwarf frowned. There is no way to speak to one of your womenfolk, manning. Kristen rounded on him. Who are you to tell me how to speak, you pathetic little runt? I'll choke you with your own beard! Behind him, his friends put their hands to the daggers in their belts. Oh, hells, muttered Elmander, gripping the pommel of the sword at his own belt. Narvi regarded Kristen owlishly. Then, almost as an afterthought, he launched a mighty punch into the young man's stomach. As Kristen bent double, Narvi gave him another hard cuff on the head, sending him sprawling. The clientele, forgetting themselves, cheered. Kristen staggered to his feet, dazed, and his friends, seeing both Elmander and Narvi get to their feet, weapons drawn, grabbed his arms and started backing towards the door. Oh! Oh, get the town guards! screamed Kristen through swollen lips. How dare you strike me! The three of them hurried out the door. Right, said Nella. You lot are in trouble now. And you, she gestured to the blonde girl. If they find you, you'll be tried as a cut purse. The four of you, get down into the cellar, now! She bundled them down a flight of stairs behind the bar and ordered them to push on a huge barrel, which turned out to be empty. Behind the barrel was a small hatch, two feet high. Get in there! Nella ordered. The regulars upstairs won't give you away. They hate that little sod as much as anyone, but keep quiet. The four did so, crawling into the small, dank space. They heard the barrel being rolled back. Nobody dared talk in the darkness. A few minutes later, they heard heavy boots on the floorboards above. After a while, a number of people stomped down the cellar stairs. Guardsmen were searching through the undercroft, one of them barking orders. Finally, he said, There's nobody here. Nella's telling the truth for a change. The footsteps gradually faded away. After what felt like hours, the barrel was rolled back and Nella opened the door. Come out now, you lot, she hissed. You're safe. But you owe me a big favour. Thank you for listening to Stories from the First Watch. The story proper will begin in the next episode, and the dice will decide what happens next.
I would like to say a big thank you to my guest voice actors. Playing Almanda's mysterious mistress was Jess Blake. The arrogant Lord Merrick was Joe Daniel. The formidable Gamma Valena was played by Vanessa Cheney. The feisty Nella, landlady of the Saint Noga, was played by Karis Mariam. And last but not least, various members of the Forlorn Town Guard were played by Andy Jones. Thank you again for listening, and see you next time for more Stories from the First Watch.